Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode number 22 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis Dahl from Summer Dental Laboratories in Zionsville, Indiana. And I'm his co-host, Barbara Wojan from Night Dental Group, Oldsmart, Florida. We made it to 22. Double deuce. All right. By the time this episode airs, the race for the future triathlon will be over. Yay. But because both Barb and I will be there, we are recording this before the race. So you're going to have to wait until next week to get all the dirty details and results. Also, if you head over to Facebook and like Voices from the Bench page, we'll have all sorts of photos up from the whole race weekend. So check us out. Oh, that's cool. You're going to put photos of us up there acting crazy and uh, getting in Lake Michigan and hoping we don't drown? Sweet. I hope to have live footage of Barbara finishing the race. That's my goal. Ooh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. I'm doing two races. I'm doing one on Saturday and one on Sunday. So choose the one where I look better. Okay, yeah, just do me a favor. Uh, I can't bleep live video, so <laughs> keep it cool. <laughs> I, I, the only part that you may hear a cuss word come out is when somebody kicks me in the head when I'm swimming. <laughs> it's not fun, but hey, it is what it is. So, Yeah, it's all part of the experience. Anything for the foundation of dental laboratory technology, Any anything. So, uh, Do you think you're going to win the, the most money raised? I think a lot of racers got um, more corporate sponsorships. Mine were mainly individual. I'm up to um, $5,200 today, very proudly. Thank you for everybody that donated that's listening. Um, so either way, it's a win for me and it's a win for our industry. So I just, I just want to get through the races. I'm really stoked. Today, we are continuing that wonderful conversation we started with the two licensed dentists. They had some really good things we talked about, but this week we're going to get more into how to become a dentist and the schooling, which is very interesting, and also what the association does for the dentist field. So let's continue our conversation from last week with Todd and Patrick. Here we go. Enjoy. Voices from the Bench. The interview. Really, it's it's a it's a mutually beneficial relationship to each of our areas of expertise. I love that. I would think that that would lessen the opposition, and you know, it, scratching each other's back is a perfect way to work together. So I I don't I don't understand that. So I have a question for you guys: Do you guys accept insurance like um, Dennis would? Yes, we do. Okay. So they can go to you with their insurance policies and you have to deal with all of the things that the dentists have to do. So are you comparable to uh, less expensive, more expensive to the dentists? So Barbara, I'll, I'll take that first and then I'll let Patrick finish up. When you come into a denturist office, as Patrick was saying, there's, there's a ton of different business models from a single person, a single denturist that answers their own phone, seats their own patients, does all their own lab work to full dental clinics where you have receptionist, insurance coordinator, treatment coordinator. You have a lab staff that does pour-ups, assistants that, that are helping. And so it's really, it runs the wow. gamut. To answer insurance question, yes, we do accept insurance. However, it's been a struggle yeah. because most insurance companies uh, don't allow us to participate in, in mm -hmm. PPOs. So they, they, uh, they lock us out from that, which it's frustrating because by and large, most insurers are less expensive than dentists. 
Not all, not all of us are. And and there's definitely different business models where someone's selling 10 Volkswagens versus the, the other denturist down the street is selling the, the Mercedes or the Bentley. I know that there's uh, denturists out there that actually charge uh, upwards of five figures per arch wow. for their dentures. Wow. Um, now, those are highly customized mm-hmm. uh, and they take a long time to get there. But I also know denturists that are out there that are, that are charging $300 per arch. You're getting something different in either case and you're marketing to a different, different segment. But, uh, but I would say that, that by and large, most of us deal with insurance either by billing them directly or helping our patients by giving them the correct forms and, and uh, procedure codes to be able to do that. It's interesting how you say the insurance companies are kind of blocking you out. I wonder what the connection is with them and, and the other associations that you were talking about. Not to get too political on you, but I just uh, I wonder. The way that things kind of go here in Maine is general rule, there's no insurance company that we can participate in network with. Um, so that's sort of a, it can be a little bit of a barrier to treatment. And most patients are pretty understanding of it. The patient will pay for their their service, their treatment uh, up front, and then we'll submit a, uh, a claim on their behalf. And then if the, the insurance company does cover denturists, then, uh, then they'll reimburse the patient. There are a few insurance companies. The one that comes to mind is MetLife. And um, they just, they don't cover anything having to do with the denturist. In their terms and agreements, it specifically says, you know, service to be rendered by a dentist. My understanding is some of the insurance companies, they have, you know, a little bit of a political uh, alignment that there are, um, you know, a lot of uh, dentists on their board of directors. And that's, I've heard that that's maybe part of the the problem. I think in some places, it's just a... an education problem. They, they're not aware of some of these insurance companies. They're uh, just not aware of what denturists are. Could be one or the other, or maybe a bit of both. So how do you guys usually split your day? Do you usually see patients in the morning and then do the lab work in the afternoon? Or do you just kind of alternate or how does that work? For me, I generally will see patients during the uh, eight to five hours. Actually, tonight, uh, as soon as I uh, get done in this office, I'm actually running back to Bangor, which is about an hour away, to see uh, a couple more patients there. And then normally I do uh, what lab work I can in between patients uh, as we have breaks in the day. Uh, But most of the time I'm going back in the evening and playing catch up on the weekends to uh to get everything done oh sure so whereas in the the old office that i worked in uh we had gosh i think seven technicians at any given time that a lot of the work i was i was handing off they were pouring impressions and articulating cases and and uh, doing most of the setups so you know different business models have uh, a little different flow to them so what point are you going to decide to um hire somebody to do all that for you it's on you're working a heck of a lot of hours and weekends. <laughs> yeah, my wife just brought me something to look at, and uh, she's shaking her head no. So uh, I'm, I'm at a point in, in our practice where uh, I think it would it would absolutely make sense. You, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. You know, one of the things that we're looking at is, uh, you know, we just I just don't know enough about it, but the potential that, that maybe uh, digital technology is going to bring um, as far as taking some of that workload away. At this point, it, it sounds a bit on the pricey side and heard opinions on on the capabilities of it and the quality and what it can do. But uh, it appears that that's the way that things are going. And um, that might be, um, you know, a direction that we go in. But yeah, I think at some point, you know, we, we at least have to 
uh, we have to do uh, something, whether it's, you know, hire uh, another person or two or, you know, it's hard to say what the, what the best right answer is. Whereas, you know, I know Todd's got uh, uh, four offices and, you know, has a, has a pretty well-oiled machine. So, you know, it's no right or wrong. There's good, better, and best. And it just depends. And what's your uh, quality life on the weekends? <laughs> once you once you're working both days, I'd be like, all right, good. I need somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like they say, Barbara, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Uh, yeah, and, you're right. And, and I think for, for for those of us that that uh, that do have a passion, I heard you you talking about you leaving the bench uh, and going home at night, and, and you love it. Yeah, you just love what you do. I tell you, it's the same for ninety nine percent of insurers that are out there. You know, again, we get to work with our hands and create these artistic masterpieces. But then the frosting on the cake is the the direct relationship building that we get with those patients directly and being able to see that translate into their smile and their quality of life, the trajectory of their life changing with just a smile. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely life changing. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your day like, Todd? I mean, you have multiple multiple offices you sound like you're an extremely busy guy <laughs> yeah and the school and the school absolutely when's the last time you had a day off uh i well i i've had to be intentional in that i think people that do have a, a passion in their in their profession they do have a tendency to not focus on the, the self you know and, and taking care of yourself in that way mm-hmm. but but in the end i've put great people around me and, and in some cases, you know, a lot of cases, better people than me around me and tried to set them them up to succeed. And that's been my my brother and I are, are partners in our businesses. And and that's really the way that we approach everything is is uh, we have this saying, we only hire hire people that we'll actually barbecue with, <laughs> meaning if I can't spend a couple of hours uh, uh, flipping a burger with you and, and having a cold beer. I, you're probably not going to work out in our organization. I love that. That's great. But to be direct in, in the response to how how my day looks or how different business models look, you know, when when um, and you asked Barbara asked uh, Patrick, when are you going to hire some help? Well, it, it's tough to when you when you're used to being the the QC uh, guy, the person that's doing the actual work, and that and you start to hand that off. It can be freeing. But it can also uh, be full of anxiety and, and difficulty if you're not prepared for that process in, in changing business models. Our business model, we actually have lab technicians that do a lot of the work. We still require, I've got six dentures working with us. We still have the dentures set the six anterior teeth. Obviously, they take the bite registrations, the centric relations, take all of those, those recordings. So, but what we found is, you know, doing the the six anterior setups kind of lays everything out from there. It helps with the QC on the end. And and then we have people that check at various stages of of the the process through wax up and finishing um, and final, just to make sure that the level of quality that we're, uh, that we're shooting for with our business models being met. So the technicians that work for you, are any of them CDTs? At this point right now, no. Would I love to have a CDT? Yes. But they're uh, very few and far. As you know, I think there's, what are we down to, like 12 schools or something? Yeah, like probably that? less I than think that. It's seven, yeah. Nope. Uh, Maybe yeah. 11 now. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, it's extremely difficult. I think that model needs to change 
I've talked to Bennett Napier and a few other folks in, in leadership at NADL. And that I, for the life of me, don't understand why dental technicians don't push for licensure and uh, uh, to, to help, I guess, in a lot of different ways. You know, it, it's uh, uh, there's there's too few barriers to entry and uh, and not enough cohesion in uh, amongst the the, uh, the technicians to be able to withstand all of the stuff that's going on, the market disruptors that are happening yeah. now. So tell me, how does one become a denturist? What is the schooling? Is it a four-year school? Yeah, so in the United States, there used to be three schools up until uh, uh, Bill Buxton passed away. The, the New England School of Dental Technology uh, closed down, I think, about two years ago. So now it's the American Denturist School and Bates Technical College uh, are, the, are the two schools here in the United States. There's five or six up in Canada. By and large... They are they are three year, mm-hmm. two to three year programs. Most of them are two year with a year long internship or externship that's woven into them. Like that, some of them don't have that, uh, but they they run the gamut of on, on the learning side of things from uh, teaching general anatomy and physiology, pathophysiology, microbiology, uh, to pharmacology and uh, infection control, radiology. And, and then depending on the school, there's some general electives. You heard Patrick talk a little bit earlier about kind of the armchair psychology that we do in regular practice that, that denturists engage in. So the American Denturist School, we actually have three psychology courses wow. that uh, they, they get down into and gerontology and into helping clinical practitioners understand the chair side and what they're what they're dealing with in transitioning from natural dentition to prosthetic and the, the sense of loss that ends up happening. You know, they're, they're, they're uh, anywhere from an associate's degree to a three-year diploma degree is, is really what, what we're looking at right now. And if I can piggyback, this is an interesting kind of anecdotal story. Um, talking with um, one of my old professors from uh, George Brown College in Toronto, Joey Della Marina, he just has a very interesting way of kind of putting things in perspective and going back to that psychological loss you know, he said uh, to me one day, he said, uh, you know, by definition, technically, a denture wearer is considered, uh, is considered disabled. Mm. They're missing a, a body part that's replaced with a prosthetic. And I kind of scratched my head and said, okay. And he said, and what's even more interesting, he said, the more I've thought about it is when someone loses a limb and has, they go undergo physical therapy, occupational therapy, and, and many times even some psychological counseling to help deal with and cope with that. And he said, here we are uh, for, uh, for the better part of 100 years. We've been shipping uh, dentuaries in mass saying, here, here's a prosthetic and uh, just let it settle in and you'll get used to it without, you know, a lot of coaching and, uh, you know, kind of handholding that goes along with it. And that's, a, that's such an important aspect of it. And uh, a lot of times, like Todd said, you know, the relationships that we develop, that can really make the difference between someone who is going to be successful um, because they also, it's not just for them. They also don't want to let you down now. They, they want this to work because we're in this together. And, uh, and that's the, I think one of the bigger differences. And it's not to say that, that, uh, dentists or other, you know, healthcare providers can't do that. But when, you know, you deal with dentures and only dentures and you understand the, uh, the difficulty that comes along with it, I think it's a little bit easier to make that investment and, and know that these, these are critical components of, uh, of good treatment. So, uh, I just wanted to throw that in there. So to, to follow up too, as far as schooling and that is concerned, the, the vast 
majority of the schools subscribe to the International Federation of Denturists baseline competencies. Those were first established back in 1991. They've since been modified in the mid-2000s. But basically what they do is they, they establish those areas that schools need to, to produce graduates that, that are competent at various levels of competency to be able to, to, to go out and get licensed. Beyond that, the, the education side, every single state has both a written and a practical exam. They require candidates that are seeking licensure to, to complete. Again, the written examinations uh, generally are two to four hours. Uh, the practical examinations, though, they vary a little bit. Uh, most of them are single-day uh, practical exams where they take a patient from scratch. They start with a, uh, a preliminary impression. They, they take that preliminary, pour up models, uh, build a custom tray. Uh, they do a final impression with border molding and the whole nine yards, do a final cast. Then they, they, they'll do uh, a bite registration. Then they'll do a full setup. And all of that has to be done between 8 and 5 p.m. Wow. Now, they don't end up doing the processing, but they take it all the way through to, uh, to, the, to the wax try-in. Uh, and and they're, being, they're being judged at, at every step of the way, including through their asepsis. So I know Maine, Maine and there may be a couple of other states that, that also subscribe to a multi-day practical examination where they have to actually take it all the way through mm -hmm. the processing. And in addition, I think Maine may have the most difficult practical examination because they also have to do uh, some surveying work on models to show that, to demonstrate that they can survey for partials. But Patrick might be able to speak a little more to that. Yeah, our uh, our examination is, is a little more rigorous. Usually it takes between two and three days. There's three of them um, that uh, that oversee the um, the examination process, and normally they do it in uh, in groups of four. Each one of the examiners looks over it separately and independently, and they've, they've got a different protocol for sure. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, there's some other components. Uh, I, I believe even they've got a uh, Ben Wire and and um, uh, do a number of different partial designs. So uh, uh, it's. It's it's not a it's not a cakewalk that's for sure. No, as it shouldn't be. Let's talk about the association that is for denturists. What is its goal? What does it do? Right now, the our, our NDA. Um, well, going back, you know, twenty years or so, it was it was really uh, more of a, a grassroots organization of sometimes at conferences that were you know less than thirty people there, and uh, it has grown in, in strength and in mass, especially in the past you know, 10 to 15 years here. And I think at last count, geez, we, we were over, what, like 400 members, Todd? That's correct, yeah. So we're, we're growing steadily. We've got, you know, uh, more and more folks that are going through getting educated. Uh, right now, Washington and Oregon are our two, you know, largest, uh, most populous states. Uh, but uh, Maine has added, uh, we've gone from about 20 to 35 active denturists here in the past the past four or five years. So it's, it's, it's coming along. And then also our state organizations, as they're growing, they're contributing to, to the NDA. But our mission is really to, um, the, the, the biggest goal that we've got is to try to get that seventh state and get to that eighth state and keep growing the, the states that, uh, that can provide denture services to the public. 
And that's going to come from, you know, being able to network and kind of show our, uh, you know, our profession to the world. So that's really the, the biggest goal overall. You know, right now we have a conference every fall uh, in Las Vegas and um, we, we invite technicians, uh, dentists, anybody who is interested in, in bettering removable prosthetics to, to come and be a part of it and see, you know, what we do and, and how we do it. So, yeah, your meeting is in October. How can people find out about it? Our website is nationaldenturist.com. We also, we've got a, uh, a Facebook page that we've you know, put out a number of updates on. And uh, I think I've even uh, used the uh, Voices from the Bench page here to, to share a few things. Those are, those are the two biggest ways. And certainly you can reach out to myself or, uh, or Todd. My email address is cmdenture at outlook.com. So feel free to, to reach out to me if anyone is, uh, is interested in finding out more. Follow up with Patrick. On, on what the NDA, the National Insurance Association, what we represent. We represent access to specialized or, or expert care in the field of removable prosthetics. And, and really, the NDA exists to raise that awareness in all of these unregulated states that dentures is a profession. It's an educated, licensed, insured profession of folks that are passionate about restoring people's smiles and their lives through removable prosthetics. Mm -hmm. And so they work with educating bodies. They work with regulatory bodies. Uh, they work with uh, the, the state associations and even individuals, if that's what it takes, to, uh, to ensure that this profession grows and that people across the United States are able to have this access to, to care. So what is the big selling point for a patient to see a denturist rather than a dentist if they're looking for a denture? Yeah, so for the the uh, the quick and dirty for me on that is that when when a patient comes to me and says, "Why why don't I just go to my dentist?" Well, number 1, I I can actually deliver that prosthetic a lot quicker. If a dog chews up a person's upper denture sitting on their nightstand for whatever reason, which happens routinely, oh, yeah. we can actually put that denture back together or we can build a completely new one, usually within a day. And that's without any of this digital stuff that's out there. That's that's all hands work. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, so it's the speed at which we do it, but it's it's more important than that. It's not just the speed. It's the expertise. When, when you've got 20,000 dentures under your belt, yeah. I'm a lot better than most den dentists that are out there that do one or two a month. So the ability to fit this removable prosthetic that's made from acrylic, okay, against soft tissue that's constantly changing and moving based on loss of weight, change in diet, change in, in medication, dosages or types, I'm uniquely qualified as a denturist to be able to, to look at the, the prosthetic as a whole and, and troubleshoot that to ensure that the person is going to be able to walk out and chew and function and smile in their day-to-day -day life. Yeah, just to piggyback that, I mean, he, he's hit the nail on the head, but uh, I'll use a, an example, a dentist I used to work with, that he was a general dentist that, that specialized in, in extractions. He's very, very good. I, I, I could easily put him up against uh, almost any uh, oral surgeon as far as his uh, efficiency and quality of what he does. And it's not a talent that he was born with. He's acquired it through practice and doing it over and over and over again. Um, he's been uh, exclusively extracting teeth for, gosh, I think 
16 or 17 years now. And I guess for lack of a better, better way of putting it, when that's all you do, you can't help but get very, very good at it. Um, so and like Todd said earlier, there are a lot of dentists that do have great uh, prosthetic vision and, and can probably make a very, very good denture. But when you, you balance that amongst all of the other um, procedures that they're tasked with doing, it's difficult to build that, that volume and that cache of, of uh, work experience. So, you know, when it comes down to it, it's, it's all we do. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, the panache and the, uh, uh, the devil's in the details, as they say, and the, the little things that we've, we've seen over the, the course of uh, our, our experience, you know, it's hard to, you, you can't learn that. Hmm. You know, you have to go through it for sure. Yeah, it just seems like it's common sense. If you want the best care yep. for anything, go to the people that specialize in it and do it on a regular basis. It's just It just makes sense. That's right. So before we wrap up, what do you guys want all the dental technicians that listen to this podcast to know about Denturist? Other than what we've already covered, obviously. What do you want everyone to like take home? What do you want everyone to realize of your profession? Honestly, the biggest thing, and what I've been doing, I've had a handful of um, assistants, uh, technicians, hygienists, other dental auxiliary who, you know, kind of like you, Elvis, said, you know, what is denturist? What is this all about? Want everyone to be aware of what it is, whether it's so that they know, you know, either where to send people or where they, maybe they want to go for a career or as a, a profession. And, uh, and, th- and there are some misnomers out there, um, you know, but uh think uh, just to know that, uh, you know, like Todd said, we're the uh, uh, we're uniquely qualified to do this job and, and deliver uh, prosthetics to the to the public. And um, I hope that you know we had Jeremiah Nas. Uh, he, he came to our conference. He actually presented. And just once he got amongst us, he was like, wow, this is this is what I want to do. And um, I believe he's he's signed up now at the, at the college. So we hope to not only have that impact on our patients lives, but also you know, show other people that this is a uh, this is a fantastic career path for those you know that it, that uh, uh, it's appropriate for you know and like um, like Todd was saying earlier it's it's a it's an easier leap um, to go from owning a dental laboratory and being able to work that in once you have the education and the licensure of course so um, you know that's really kind of a multifold direction that we, you know, or what we want people to take away from this. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll hear other technicians kind of raise their eyebrow and, and uh, start taking some interest in it. If nothing else, we, we offer fantastic continuing education and, uh, and be a resource for others. So I've been attending uh, laboratory conferences for probably six or seven years now as a representative of the American Ventura School. And it was, it's been interesting because the first couple of times that I, that I attend these, people would actually walk by, I'd actually vendor at them and I'd have a booth that said American Dentura School and, and people would kind of walk by, they'd look and, you know, a few minutes later, they'd walk back by going the other way, they'd look again and, and uh, finally get them to engage. And there's kind of a lot, a little bit of, of intimidation about what, what a denturist is. Like, like you were asking Elvis, you know, most people don't know that we work directly with the public, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, almost every single removable technician that I've met in the last eight years has worked chairside. Oh, yeah. Either on their own, as, as Patrick says, out the back door, doing a, doing a denture for a friend or a family member, or they've been called into their dentist's office to help them fix a problem. And 
the thing about denturism is, is yes, it's removable, but we're also doing fixed removable hybrids. We're working on all on fours or all on sixes. We're doing dentures over implants, locators and stern gold and, and ball attachments in those. But the difference is, is that we're coming in to the dental office with that dentist as a partner, an equal. And we're getting paid for our knowledge and our skill. And so what I would, what I would tell technicians is look at this profession, especially in what's gone on in the last four or five years with, with technology and the change that's happened with fixed with, with emerging technologies in CAD CAM over the last 10 years. And, and now we've got printing that's FDA approved and, and starting to make some inroads in that. Take control of your life. Look at this profession because it's going to allow you some independence, but it's also going to allow you to keep doing what you're doing now, but to have more control in a better collaborative, a healthier collaborative relationship with the dentist that you already enjoy working with. Well said. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, gentlemen. I appreciate you joining me today, and I've learned a lot about dentists. I didn't know much about them, but I appreciate you guys coming on, and I'd love to have some more dentists on. I know we've talked about it, Patrick, about having you guys come on on various other topics. Absolutely. Because obviously you guys seem to really know your stuff, and uh, I appreciate your expertise. I'd like you to share it with everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Elvis, uh, I, I appreciate you having us. And Barbara, thank you. Um, I went to a course in Florida and Rob Greeson told me about it. And I was like, man, that'd be great. And he was like, no, like you, you guys need to go tell everybody about what you are and what you do. He's like, I have no idea. This, this was a thing. And I said, well, let's, let's tell them. So I appreciate you guys letting us on and uh, we'd be happy to come back anytime. Oh, I thank appreciate you very that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Everything that we discussed, I usually put some links up so everyone can go to our website, VoicesFromTheBench.com, and check out the links for the association, the upcoming uh, conference and everything. So, again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. No problem, guys. Be good. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great weekend, everyone. Yep, you too. Take care. Bye. All right. I want to thank... Patrick and Todd for sharing their experiences and their knowledge on denturism with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Amazing interview. The more I think about this whole denturist thing, the more I really kind of like it. I really encourage all technicians to check out the National Association of Denturists Conference in Vegas, which is October 10th to the 13th. I know it's hard for a technician to get clinical experience unless you have a good relationship with a dentist, but a denturist if you think about it, can teach us clinical aspects of dentistry while at the same time looking at it as a technician. Really, I think it's going to be a beneficial learning experience that all of us technicians can tap into. So check out nationaldenturist.com for more information. So I've learned while talking to people about this podcast that there's actually a lot of people that don't know what a podcast is or how to listen to one. Just like me? Like like Barbara when I introduced (laughs) her to the whole thing. Yep. So Patrick, who we interviewed on today's episode, had a suggestion for me, and that is put Voices from the Bench as a YouTube channel. It's the same content. It's only audio. The only image you see is our logo. But now it's a little easier to access because, you know, who really hasn't used YouTube? So head over there and search for Voices from the Bench. Tell your friends, coworkers, vendors, dental office staff, Voices from the Bench can now be heard on all podcast apps, 
directly from VoicesFromTheBench.com, and now on YouTube. Yay! Great idea. Thank you, Patrick. Like us, share us, email us, give us ideas. If you want to be interviewed, give us a shout. Send us an email at info at VoicesFromTheBench.com. Hit us up on Facebook. Any way you can get a hold of us, we'd love to have you on. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye, guys. Have a great week. Bye. Ha 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 ha! So true.